Hello and welcome to Sake Revolution. This is America's first sake podcast. I'm your host, John Puma from the Sake Notes. You may also know me as the administrator over at the Internet Sake Discord, uh, that guy from Reddit, um, and also the guy on the show who's not a sake samurai. And I am your host, Timothy Sullivan. I am a sake samurai. I'm also a sake educator, as well as the founder of the Urban Sake website. And every week, John and I will be tasting and chatting about all things sake and doing our best to make it fun and easy to understand. That is right, Tim. Now, uh, I understand that today is going to be another in our series of Japanese Kuromoto. Nope. Of Japanese Brewery Kuromoto. No, how do you want to phrase this? <laughs> it's the Kuromoto Corner. Just uh, the Kuramoto corner. So this is at out. No, it's not the Kuramoto corner. We're doing something different. <laughs> How many um, corners do we have? I don't know. Too many. So Tim, this, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, uh, the second in our series of interviews with uh, Japanese sake brewery owners. Yes. We refer to them in Japanese as Kuramoto or the sake wow. brewery presidents. Oh, Mr. Fancy Pants. Today, we are talking to Mr. Kuji. He is a renowned and famous sake brewery owner from Iwate, and he makes a famous brand of sake called Nambubijin, which we have tasted here on the show, haven't we? We have. We, you specifically tasted the uh, Tokubetsu Junmai in our Iwate episode. Check the show notes for a link. Yes, so Nambubijin's from Iwate. And it is such an honor to have Mr. Kuji with us because he really is such an esteemed member of the sake brewing community. I think we're going to learn a lot from him, and I'm really looking forward to welcoming him. So, Mr. Kuji, thank you so much for joining us today. To get us started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? And also, please give our listeners a brief introduction to the Nambu Bijin Sake Brewery. Hi, Hello, my name is Kosuke Kuji. I'm the fifth generation president of Nanbu Bijin Sake Brewery. I was born on May 11, 1972. As a young person, I grew up in Iwate Prefecture, but for college, I went to the Tokyo Agricultural College, where I studied to be a sake master. And after returning from college, I worked as a technician for the sake industry. The current production style that we use to make sake here at Nanbu Bijin was created working together with our former master sake brewer, Mr. Hajime Yamaguchi. Nanbu Bijin was founded in 1902, and our family motto since the first generation has been, quality comes first. So the sake that I'm trying to make is simply a style that when you drink it, it makes you smile. We tried to make it as simple as possible so that everyone can easily understand the style of sake we are trying to make. Does this mean we want to make a sake that you have to try several times before you understand the taste? No. We want to create a sake that makes you think from the very first sip, oh my god, this is really good. <laughs> so, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. えっと、そんなナンブビジンですけども、あの、日本における 
So at Nanbu Bijin, we've won many sake contests in Japan as well as abroad. In 2017, we won the top champion sake prize at the International Wine Challenge. Also, over the last 10 years, we've been focusing on getting various certificates. In 2013, we received our kosher certification, and in 2019, we received a vegan certification for our sake. We have a non-GMO certificate as well. In the sake world, we were the very first to acquire the vegan certification. Why do we get all these certificates? It's not only to grab the attention of people within Japan, but also people around the world. A lot of our brewing skills and ideas come from the Nanbu Toji Guild. That's the Master Sake Brewers Guild in our region. For example, we do a one-time pasteurization of our sake in the bottle. We use bottles for the storage of our sake to avoid the possibility of spoilage that could come from storing our sake in large tanks. And to preserve the aroma as much as possible for our sake, we do only a single pasteurization, not a double pasteurization as is more common. Now, let me just say a quick word about our pasteurization method. By putting the bottles in a water bath, we bring them up to 65 degrees Celsius, that's 149 degrees Fahrenheit, and this takes about 25 minutes. Then it takes another 20 minutes to cool the bottles back down to around 10 degrees Celsius. That's 50 degrees Fahrenheit. And then we refrigerate the sake immediately to a very cold temperature, below freezing. Compared to using a more industrial pasteurization machine, our method takes a longer time, but we think pasteurization in the bottle is the best way to preserve the aroma and to prevent any spoilage. So... That would be my explanation of myself at our brewery. Excellent. Um, uh, Kuji-san, thank you again for coming. I, I noticed that the brand name is Nambu Bijin and that that means Southern Beauty. Uh, but I could not help but notice that the brewery is located in the north. Um, <laughs> so, so can you explain that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I get this question a lot. <laughs> so now in Japan, our country is divided into 47 prefectures, kind of like states. But earlier in our history, these areas were divided up differently into more independent regions that were called a Han. So in the time when the regions were called Hans, Iwate Prefecture used to be called the Nanbu Han. And, for example, if you look at the other Hans, Miyagi Prefecture used to be called Date Han. And Aomori Prefecture was called Tsugaru Han. And so the reason why Iwate was called Nanbu Han was because the ruler at that time, his name just happened to be Nanbu. And so if his name was, let's say, for example, Hokubu, which actually means north in Japanese then we would have probably just called it Hokubu instead. But it just so happens that his name was Nambu, which means southern, and Bijin means beautiful person. So it was named Nanbu Bijin, because we wanted to create something that was beautiful in this area called Nanbu. <laughs> I think it would have been much easier if we just called it Iwate Bijin. 
That's the story. It just came from the ruler's name. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I was actually unsure about calling our sake Southern Beauty in English when we first introduced it abroad, because we're not actually representing the southern part of Japan. But eventually I was convinced that it would be much more straightforward and easy to understand. Also, this was like 20 years ago. And in America, nobody really knew that Iwate Prefecture was up north anyway. <laughs> so it just became Southern Beauty because it was way more straightforward and easy for people to understand. <laughs> uh, well, I think after 15 years of studying sake, that's the most complete explanation of Nambu Bijin's brand name I've ever gotten. This was a master class. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, Kuchi-san, you are very well known in the sake industry for being a very passionate promoter of Japanese sake. What drives your motivation and what keeps you so positive about Japanese sake? So my thinking was that here we are creating this beautiful sake and we want people all around the world, not just in Japan, to drink it and to experience it. If this were a ramen shop, we'd have to ask people to come to Japan for the experience. But as a sake brewery, everything's in a bottle so we can actually export it. For that reason, people can enjoy it in their own country and in their own homes. Right. So you have been exporting your sake uh, for, for quite a long time. Uh, when did you first start exporting from Japan uh, overseas? And, and what inspired you to go international with the brand? Uh, did you have any reservations or concerns about exporting your sake? We started exporting in 1997. So when we first started exporting, the local breweries around us were like, you guys must be crazy to do this. You guys are out of your minds. And these neighboring breweries told us back then that foreigners wouldn't understand the nuance of sake because in foreign countries, they don't even eat fish as much as we do in Japan. They only eat meat, they said. I'm sorry, but this was a huge stereotype about the foreign markets at that time. We joined together with some other breweries to form the Sake Export Association. And as we began to export sake, one of our goals was to inform, educate, and advocate for sake around the world. So right after we started this association, New York's Japan Society contacted us. They told us that New Yorkers were developing a deep interest in sake but unfortunately, they had no one locally that could talk about sake or do seminars. So they contacted us and they asked us to do a seminar and also a sake tasting. And so we had that first tasting event in 1998. And since then, we've been exporting all around the world to 55 countries. So the very first place that had my sake outside of Japan was New York City at a restaurant called Decibel. There were many things that worried us in the beginning, but the number one concern was the temperature of the sake for delivery and storage. But that concern was gone quickly as the distributors had refrigerated delivery and storage. 
well, now that there are quite a few uh, sake breweries that are making sake overseas outside of Japan, uh, what do you think of people making sake outside of Japan? Uh, is it a competition? Is it uh, a compliment to what you make? Uh, what, is, what are your thoughts on that? I'm absolutely in favor of people making sake outside of Japan, because if everyone globally started drinking and enjoying sake, based on what we can produce here in Japan, we wouldn't have enough sake in the world. It's a big worry, but no matter how much we can produce domestically here in Japan, if everyone started drinking sake, then we wouldn't have enough stock to go around. So it's important that there are many local breweries outside of Japan. But it's also crucial that brewers outside Japan don't make sake that sucks. Because if those brewers make sake that sucks, it's not going to be good for the sake industry as a whole. <laughs> I mean, if somebody somewhere in the world sure. <laughs> just looks at a YouTube video and learns how to make sake just from that and says, Yay, look at us, we're making sake. I mean, that's not good for the industry as a whole. And so I think it's very important that we, as brewers in Japan, communicate clearly about the technology and techniques that we use. So many people ask if we consider the sake breweries outside of Japan to be our rivals or our competition, and they ask if they might be stealing our techniques and technologies and our traditions. But honestly, we just don't think of it that way. There's a saying in the sake world called sakeya banryu, this means that there are 10,000 ways to make sake, even using the same rice and yeast. If the brewery changes, the taste of the sake will also be completely different. And so, if there are a hundred breweries, there will be a hundred different styles of sake. So we aren't worried that people will steal our sake's flavor or taste, but if they're going to learn our sake-making skills, we want them to take the highest and best skills possible, so that they can elevate the quality of sake around the world. Great. Like well, speaking of delicious sake that does not suck, <laughs> we are going to move to our tasting portion for today. So John and I have prepared Nambubijin Shimpaku Junmai Daikinjo, and we would like to taste this together with you, Mr. Kuji. Could you introduce this sake to our listeners, please? Okay, first, if you look at the bottle itself, you'll notice there's not a front and back label as you usually see. We designed it to use one continuous label that wraps around the bottle completely. And this sake is called Shinpaku, which is a word in the sake industry that means the starchy, opaque core at the center of the rice grain. That's very important for making the sake, and the drawing on the label represents this shinpaku, or the core of the rice. And we are using Yamada Nishiki rice for our Junmai Daiginjo. So as you might notice, it has a very elegant, almost strawberry or pineapple-like, vibrant, fruity aroma. I'm aiming for a sake that's elegant and juicy, 
but the best way to describe it is that it's very alluring. I would recommend pairing with tuna or salmon, but the more fatty ones that are really rich, not leaner cuts of beef, but more of a marbled beef like Wagyu. Mm. Yeah, I think what I may be picking up on in that vein is the texture. So in English, we say like the texture is very silky and velvety and uh, almost decadent mm. in how smooth it is. Mm. You get it. Yes, that's it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> So our tokubetsu junmai is categorized differently. It's more clear and clean, whereas this one, the shinpaku, is richer and more alluring. Our tokubetsu junmai is more like a Japanese idol, whereas shinpaku evokes a Mariah Carey kind of vibe. <laughs> so, uh, so, Tim, uh, do you prefer your sake mm. more... Uh, Japanese idol or or are you more, you know, Mariah Carey? Well, let's say at my age, I think I prefer a 1990s Mariah. Uh, but uh-huh. honestly, both of these sakes that uh, Kujisan is talking about, I think they're fantastic. I've got the shimpaku here in front of me, of course, and it is indeed alluring. I love this texture, don't you? I do, I do. But really quickly, though, are we talking more of an emotions level Mariah Carey or are we talking like all I want for Christmas? <laughs> Let's say that I like uh, uh, emotions. This sake's giving me emotions, ah, so I'm going to go there. I see what you did there, and and I do agree on the the texture. The texture is the star of this sake, and I totally get why Kujisan would say that wagyu and marbled beef or fatty tuna would really really go well with this. Kujisan, mm-hmm. uh, what other foods or, or preparations of foods would you recommend to go with the sake, to go with the shimpaku? So I recommend things that are seared or roasted. They'll go very well with this sake, such as salmon or other fish. But yeah, I recommend something grilled or seared as the umami goes up, and I believe that our sake is able to embrace that mm. umami. Can you just imagine those mm-hmm. flavors in your head? It's like, mm. I really wish I had it in front of me right now. Yes, and I, I can see that vision of aburi sushi, like mm. uh, torched or um, heated sushi. It also softens the fat and makes it much more velvety texture. And I can see that texture mm-hmm. matching very beautifully with this. Uh, so, Kuji-san, what are your hopes for the future of the, the sake industry uh, in Japan, overseas? And what are your ideas for making more interest in sake? The future of sake is bright. Why? Because when I went to New York in 1997 as a young man, 24 years of age, I never thought people like you, John, and Timothy would be interested in sake. And here we are just 20 years later. I think sake is growing in popularity around the world 10 times faster than I'd anticipated. I think this is all due to opinion leaders like you who are advocating for sake. When I think about it, I remember that when I first saw people drinking sake in Africa, 
it really made me realize that sake really is becoming a global alcohol and that people will be drinking sake all over the world. Mm. I can't wait. Yep. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So th this, this is our last question for you, and thank you so much for your time. We have a sake podcast, mostly for uh, beginners, uh, people who are first getting into sake. Do you have any message for our listeners? Japanese sake is not a mystic, mythical alcohol from the Far East. It's a very elegant beverage that's created from rice. For people just getting started with sake, I would like you to compare it side by side against a white wine. And next time, if you're having fish for your meal, please try pairing it with Japanese sake because it really goes well. And out of all the types of seafood, try oysters and see how well it pairs with sake. And if you ever get a chance to eat Japanese food at a Japanese restaurant, please try Japanese sake, not just wine or beer. And if you're interested, then please, after the corona pandemic is over, come to Japan and visit a sake brewery. We eagerly await your visit. Kuji-san, thank you so much for joining us. John and I learned a tremendous amount, and it is always a pleasure to talk to you. We learned so much, and it was so much fun, which is the most important thing when you're learning about sake, right? Yeah, Having I, fun. <laughs> and I have to say, I, I've, I've met uh, Kuji-san in uh, New York uh, a few times. And even even having met him before, I, I always nerd out a little bit. And it's very exciting. And so I'm, I'm still kind of like, woo, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has, he has a singular energy that he brings to the world of sake. That's why his nickname, of course, is Mr. Sunshine of the sake industry. And I think today he earned it, quite frankly. Totally. Very much so. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank Kuji-san, so much for joining us. And of course, I want to thank our listeners as well for tuning in. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to show your support for Sake Revolution, one way that you can really help us out would be to take a couple of minutes and just leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us spread the word about Sake Revolution. Alternatively, you might want to tell a friend about our show. Uh, and then also you might want to subscribe to our show and then get your friend to subscribe. And then every single week when we put out one of these episodes, it will show up on your device of choice without you having to do anything at all. It'll just be there. And this way you won't miss an episode. Your friend won't miss an episode. You guys can talk about the episodes later and then they can tell friends. This is how it works out. This is multi-level marketing, guys. This is, this is 101. <laughs> I might re-record some of that. I don't know yet. We might, yeah. <laughs> and as always, to learn more about any of the topics or any of the sakes we talked about in today's episode, be sure to visit our website, sakerevolution.com, to look at our detailed show notes. And if you have a sake question that you need answered, we want to hear from you. Uh, is our, are there breweries that you would like us to interview? We want to hear from you. Reach out to us. The email address is feedback at sakerevolution.com. So until next time, please remember to keep drinking sake and come by. Come by.